have uh, talked or used the term often. Uh, We've mentioned it in passing last week, and I said then that it was a topic for another time. Well, now is that other time. The term is part of our Christian vernacular. Uh, Books have been written about it, and the very words themselves form a kind of a powerful image in our mind. I'm talking about the term, the body of Christ, as it's used to refer to the church. Some churches and people may use that term more than others. Uh, Some shorten it to just the body. Uh, it, It is most certainly scriptural, and in the Bible, it is one of the most common symbols for the church. Now, I know that our society tends to dismiss the symbolic as somehow less than real, but the reverse is actually true. For example, sometimes you'll hear people dismiss descriptions of uh, hell in the New Testament as merely symbolic, and the proper way to respond to that is to say, okay, if they're only symbolic so that the only way hell can adequately be described so we can begin to understand it is to compare it to unquenchable fire, a place where the maggots which devour the flesh never get their fill, a place of darkness, of death, of loneliness, and rest without hope. If that's what it's like, if that's what we have to use to describe it, then what must the reality be like? Understood in that way, calling those things symbolic doesn't lessen the terror, it intensifies it. And when the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ, it's not diminishing its reality, it's making it more concrete by making it more understandable. Now, left to ourselves, we would almost certainly think about the church as we do other human institutions. We would suppose that it is like a club or an association, or or maybe best yet, we might think of it as a brother-sisterhood. But the church, though it may share some of those same elements those things have, is much more than all such things at their best combined. And the image of the body communicates real truths about the church which we would not know if we weren't told. So today, we're going to look more closely at these things. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going to ask and we're going to answer the question, what does it mean that we are the body of Christ? And to do that, um, uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're going to consider verses 12 through 27. So you can join me in your Bibles, or you can follow along as the texts are displayed on the screens. Now this passage tells us six truths as it answers the question, what does it mean that we are the body of Christ? And the first thing we see here may seem rather obvious, And I think we here probably do take it for granted, but for some, it it would be a revolutionary thought that the body of Christ, the church, is made up of many people. Two verses make that point for us. First, we read in verse 12, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then down in verse 27, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each of you has a part of it. 
uh, is a part of it. The body is one, and it's made up of many people. Now, we uh, take that for granted, but some people are accustomed to thinking of the church as a kind of a ministerial hierarchy which ministers to them. And, and, and the truth, this truth, comes to them as a bit of a shock that they are the church together with the ministers. But when they do get it, they, they readily accept the fact that they are responsible to do ministry. We're supposed to know that, and I think we do, but it's good to be reminded of it, isn't it? <laughs> and for us, it's also a reminder that people, w- with all of our quirks, <laughs> our differences and our feelings, our failings and our sin problem, it's people that make up the church. Every one of us, though, is part of the body of Christ. Now, thankfully, there's more going on here than just us. Um, We aren't merely a conglomeration of people, and yet, because we are fallen creatures, the potential is always there for us to act as though that's all we are, just a group of people. Now, that's how we would act if God weren't at work in us, which brings us to our next point that God takes all of these different people, he takes all of us. He takes us and he makes us one by his spirit. Verse 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and you can't get much different than those groups, can you? But we are all given one spirit to drink. The spirit unites us. He makes us one. Now, I know it's such a a common illustration that it maybe has become a bit cliched, and and in our health-conscious culture, maybe it's a bit out of place. But when you bake a cake, you take all different kinds of ingredients, the salty, the sweet, the bland, the dry, the wet, and they get all mixed together into a kind of a thick soup. And then you put it into the oven, and it's the heat that makes the cake. So it is with us. It is the Spirit who takes all of these different people and makes us a church. He immerses us. He baptizes us. He plunges us into the one body of Christ. He unites us. It is his work. And that may be one of the most important things you can know about the church, that the Spirit is at work here to unite us. Now, if we ever get to the point where we're not united then you can be sure that we have lost touch with the head, our Savior, who died for us. We will have stopped listening to the Holy Spirit who always rallies us around him. And I don't mean by that that we will agree on everything. We won't. (laughs) Uh, We we must agree, of course, on essentials, those things that are non-negotiable, but there are plenty of other things we may not agree on like the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls. And sometimes, even on more significant things, like which outside ministries will we as a church support? 
But when the church has made the decision on such things, we accept them. We adopt them. We make them our own. For we believe that Christ is the head of this church. And besides, none of us has an unbroken record of being right, do we? I know I don't. So being the body of Christ means many people make up one body, and these many people are united, were made one by the power of the Spirit. Now the next truth we're going to look at, we've already hinted at, but, uh, but we need to state it clearly. Each one of us has a function, a, a role, a part to play in the body of Christ. So verse 27 again. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Being part of the body means you have something to do. And maybe verse 17 uh, may help us make that point. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, the body needs people with different talents and gifts and abilities to function as a body. Now, we're not going to spend much time here on this today because we're going to come back to it uh, when we talk about spiritual gifts. But what I want you to to understand today, what I want you to know today and now, is that each one of us has a function in the body, even if we're not sure what that function is. (laughs) So look at verse 14 and following with me, if you would. Even so, the body is uh, not made up of one part, but many. And Paul goes on to say in verse 15, Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, uh, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And so what we see here is there was a certain amount of confusion for some people in the Corinthian church. And and I think that's true in most churches. There are people who just aren't sure what they're supposed to do in the church. They're not sure what their gifts might be. The people in Corinth obviously knew they were to do something. They just weren't weren't sure what it was. Maybe They wanted a particular gift, and they felt like if they didn't have that, that they were useless. Or or maybe had the wrong idea about what gift they had. (laughs) Maybe some of them thought they should be teachers, but they really didn't have that ability. Or maybe they wanted to be on the worship team, but God didn't give them those gifts. Or maybe, like some of you, they just plainly, did not know. They were not sure what gift they had, and they weren't even sure if they had any at all. And yet what this text tells us, everyone has an important role, something God has given them to do. Now I want you to understand something. We, the pastors and elders and deacons, We'll do what we can to help you discover your calling within the body. And we're going to do that by teaching God's Word and by giving you opportunities to be part of different ministries as you come alongside others who are gifted in those different ways where you can learn more about yourself and what your gifts are. And we'll counsel you as you need it. But it all starts with the understanding that you have something to do here that you have a responsibility. 
and, and you share in the responsibility to discover what it is. It may not be what you think. It may not be on the list of spiritual gifts because those lists are not intended to be an exhaustive catalog of gifts. It may not even be what you want to do. But I can tell you something. I can tell you that if you do what God is calling you to do, if you do it, you'll be glad you did. And you'll discover that really great feeling of knowing what it's like knowing that you're made for something particular. It's good when you get that understanding. In the meantime, what you need to do is you need to faithfully serve wherever you can, and you'll discover your gift. Uh, You may even realize that serving wherever you can is exactly how God intends to use you. So being part of the body of Christ means many people make up one body, and these many people are made one by the Spirit, and each of us has a function in the body, even if we're not sure what it is. And then the thing we're going to see next, it really ought to be a great comfort to us, to those who are not sure of what their roles are, but also for those of us who do know what we're called to do, You see, the pieces of this body are put together by God according to his plan. So verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The idea is reinforced again in the middle of verse 24, but God has put the body together. So now we've talked here before, I, I know we have, about this particular truth, that Jesus is in the process of building his church. It's an ongoing thing. And we often think about that in terms of his leading us and directing us, and he does that. That's part of it. But it also extends to the building materials themselves. That is us who make up the church. You see, God brought me here. He brought you here together with your family to use us to advance his kingdom here on earth through this church. Now, you know, our nation is uh, broad enough to have a lot of different terrains and weather conditions. And in the construction industry, those differences require certain techniques. In some places in our country, the ground is of such a, a consistency that certain internal supports to foundations must be incorporated or the foundation will begin to crumble. In other places, it's not wise to have a basement because of the water table. Wood may be a poor choice in other areas. We find different heating and A conditioning units are more appropriate in some areas than others. And the contractor has to know just what's appropriate in the area where he's building. Well, the same kind of thing is true for the church. God knows what he's doing. He's the contractor. He he brings the parts together because he has a plan. He knows the area that we're in. He knows what needs to happen. He knows how he's going to use us. And he brings those here that he will use to accomplish his purpose. Now, the other side of that (laughs) is that he's prepared a place of service here for you. We also know 
that not everyone belongs here at Y Bible Church. Uh, that was a hard truth for me to learn in what I call my home church. I could not see how everyone wouldn't have wanted to be a part of that church. I have to tell you, I feel the same way about this church, and yet the truth is, we're not his only church. He is building other ones too, and he needs certain people to be there. And one last reminder right here, if I could. You may be doing more for this church than you realize just by being here, even though you may not know your gifts. You may be positively affecting someone around you or people around you and not even know it. Being the body of Christ means many people make up one body and these people are made one by the Spirit and each of us has a function in the body even if we don't know what it is, even if we're not sure what it is. And God has put us together according to his plan. And the fifth thing we see in this passage is that there should never be any divisions in the body. The middle of verse 25 states, so there should be no division in the body. First of all, because we should care about one another. The rest of verse 25 makes that clear. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. And because we need one another, as verse 21 makes clear, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And then we are all indispensable, verses 22 through 24. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we would treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable were treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. And finally, there ought not to be any divisions because we all share the same fate. Verse 26, if one part suffers Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with us. There should never be any division in the body because we should care about each other. We need one another. We are all indispensable, and we all share the same fate. A warship at sea needs everyone on it, and everyone on it needs everyone else. They need the captain, they need the officers, they need the gunners, they need the engineers, they need the technicians, they need the cooks and the swabbies. Everyone is valuable, everyone is needed, everyone is indispensable, everyone shares the same fate. And that's never more clear than when the ship is in a battle where even the cooks have to adapt to feed the crew to keep them strong. And we, we are engaged in a great spiritual battle. And if we shall fight on the beaches and fight on the landing grounds and fight in the fields and in the streets and fight in the hills, if we are never to surrender, and if, as Churchill says in another speech, we shall never give in, never give in, never, never Never, never, in nothing great or small or large or petty, never give in except the convictions of honor and good sense. 
never yield to force, never yield to apparently overwhelming odds of the enemy, then we must never allow Satan to divide us. We must remain united in Christ where he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And he's commanded us to love one another. And if you don't know anything else to do in the church, you know that. Last semester, my uh, daughter, Addie, was a company first sergeant. This semester, she's battalion first sergeant. And she was ma- uh, responsible for maintaining standards and making sure everyone was where they should be and when they should be there. In that position, she was given a board, a kind of a bulletin board, on which to put something motivational. Hers was very simple. It was just three words. Do your job. For you see, whatever questions or complaints or suggestions you might have, at the end of the day, this is what they signed up for to be a midshipman. So do your job. And whatever is going on in your life or in the church, you know you're to love other believers. Do your job. Being the body of Christ means many people make up one body, made one by the Spirit, each with our own function, even those who aren't sure of what it is. God has put us together according to his plan so there should never be any divisions for we care about each other and all have our own functions and we are all indispensable and we all share the same faith. And then finally, the last thing we're going to look at this morning, and we'll be brief, is reality. We are a body of Christ, not just a part of it, and everyone has his or own, her own part. Verse 27 again. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Wide Bible Church is the body of Christ, not just a part of it. And that statement is not of arrogance or presumption. It's the truth. The thing that puts it into perspective is we are not the only one. Every genuine church is the body of Christ and not just a part of it. Now, I want to explain this to you if you'll allow me. See, at the beginning of our passage, we're told we're baptized into one body by the Spirit. And that reference is to the universal church, the church as it exists through the centuries in all of her glory consisting of all believers. But here at the end of our passage, Paul tells the Corinthians, they are the body of Christ. You see, it means that every church, which is a genuine church, is the local expression of the body of Christ. The whole body, not just a part of it. The head, Jesus Christ, is here. We're his body. We have that level of responsibility. It is who we are. 
the body of Christ. And the second part of that reality is we each have a function, a job to do. Something made just for you. We are the body of Christ and each of us has a part. That's the point the scripture is making here. That's the truth that we need to grasp. That's God's purpose and design. And it is amazing. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us matters. The battle is raging. The enemy is all around. The saints are under attack. The lost need the light and the truth. They need to be set free. So I want to ask you to join us. Won't you join us with all of your heart and fight the good fight so that you may one day hear those wonderful words spoken by our Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You will not live the life on your own. We need one another. May God bless you and all of you.